Okay. Uh, okay, uh, this is Joe Samansky with Elections Daily, and we are once again here with another congressional candidate. Uh, this time, someone who's won his race and won his primary. We are here today with Oregon 4th District, G the Oregon 4th District GOP candidate, Alex Garlatos. Uh, Alec, thank you very much for being on with me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, so we're going to start off with a pretty typical question here. Uh, what inspired you to run for Congress? Um, well, honestly, kind of a lot of things. I met my state senator on a plane to D.C. We started talking politics. We agreed on most everything. <laughs> and um, the more I learned about the issues facing southwestern Oregon, the angrier I got. And I really just wanted to do something about it. Um, for me, it was mostly the timber issue and the fact that really our economy and county governments across the district have really had a tough time only for political reasons. I mean, it's it's really kind of a disgusting problem once you research it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously, not you mentioned the timber industry, but obviously uh, you, you're a veteran, you have served this country before in our armed forces. Uh, how much has what you've done in service of this country come into play on how you've run your campaign? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a tough one. I mean, I'm definitely a veteran, and um, I am not afraid to call things how I see it, I suppose. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily that it's, you know, defined my life when it comes to how I run my campaign. Mm. Um, I mean, we have an excellent team here, and I don't feel like I have to dictate a whole lot. Everybody knows their job and does what they're supposed to do. So um, it's I really couldn't be happier with my team. Mm -hmm. So... Um... I, I feel like everyone um, wants to mention this, and I'm sure you get this in any interview you do. Uh, obviously, you have a big personal story. Uh, you were on that train to Paris uh, back in 2015. Uh, that's been a big part of your life, big part of you personally, I'm sure. But how much did you personally change after the events of what happened that day on that train to Paris? You know, how did that affect you personally? Um, I mean, it definitely... I wouldn't necessarily say it changed who I am or anything like that, but it definitely changed my outlook on life and gave me kind of a sense of mortality and um, I guess a sense of wanting to accomplish as much as I can with the time that I'm given on earth, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's really just kind of changed my outlook on life and I appreciate the small things and I just want to live a life that's worth living and try to accomplish whatever I can for the people of Southwestern Oregon. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're only 27 years old, uh, an age that not a lot of people really decide, hey, you know, I'm going to go ahead and run for Congress. So what is that experience like, uh, especially as someone who's 27 years old, who really doesn't seem to have any prior experience on congressional campaigns? Um, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's been an interesting road, that's for sure. I mean, if it makes any, any difference to anybody, I'll be 28 by the time I take office. But <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, like I said, I really just wanted to do something for the people of southwestern Oregon. And there hasn't really been any candidates that could beat the Democrat incumbent over the last, you know, 33 years that mm -hmm. incumbent's been in office. And I just felt that... Um, you know, I'm, I might not have the thickest resume when it comes to running for office, but I knew that I would probably be a halfway decent candidate. And like I said, I hired an excellent team. We have a great shot at winning this race, and um, that's really all it comes down to when it comes to 
politics when it comes to experience. I mean, I've been researching the timber issues and issues of southwestern Oregon for almost three years now, so mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm ignorant on the issue by any means. Okay, so when you first announced and you first announced to the world that you were running, you were really quickly given a lot of press, especially by the conservative media and kind of the conservative analysts of politics. Uh, did the immediate reaction to your run surprise you at all? Um, not really, actually. Um, I, ever since the train attack, I mean, we've kind of gotten PR for just about everything we've done. Um, so I, I felt like it was about normal. I'm honestly just surprised that they've uh, stayed interested. I mean, we've, we've won our primary and we've had a lot of good things going on with the campaign. But I mean, that's, that's part of it is keeping the media interested and kind of nationalizing the race. And that's what we've been able to do, luckily. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously the stay in the fact when you first announced uh, you were kind of at first expected to go into what could have been a very rough primary with uh, Art Robinson, who had been running in this seat for, I believe, the past five terms. Uh, he eventually dropped out to run for the Oregon State Senate. Uh, I know he won his primary there. But did you create any kind of relationship with Art or really gain any knowledge from him since he's run in this race for the past five elections? Or have you kind of just been going through this on your own and uh, making sure you've you know done your own path here? Um, no, we've, I mean, we've talked to him a little bit, uh, mostly kind of after his decision, after the primary, just kind of giving his two cents on the race since he's run it so many times. Um, but that being said, I mean, we're running our own race. I mean, we, I feel like that part of the reason our Robinson wasn't successful is because he failed to appeal to the middle. And that's something that uh, my campaign is going to, um, correct. I mean, we're going to appeal quite heavily to the moderates and the non-affiliated voters, especially in the area around Eugene. Um, it's, uh, I mean, that's really what you have to do if you want to win here. It's a very uh, toss-up district, and it's all about winning the middle and making sure Republicans turn out. Yeah, and again, you, you like you mentioned, you won your primary, uh, and you won it by what was a very substantial margin over what we will kind of call, you know, token opposition. But still, uh, what was that feeling like when you had won and you had kind of finally, you know, clinched this and you could really officially move on to the general election facing off against the incumbent, Peter DeFazio? Uh, it, was, I mean, it was a great feeling to win the primary, not necessarily because we didn't expect to win. We just did not expect to win with that much. <laughs> yeah. We didn't expect to win by that much of a margin and we uh, didn't expect that high of a turnout. So that really... Um, I think bodes well for November, and that was really what was exciting about winning in the primary, not necessarily just winning in the primary. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think a lot of uh, a thing that a lot of you know younger people kind of you know gloss over when they think about running for office is the fundraising aspect of it. You know, how has it been fundraising for a major congressional campaign, and kind of what have been the challenges that have come with that? Um, the challenges was really just a slow start. Um, I mean, we had a lot of uh, problems internally with the campaign, and finally, once we got we got ourselves sorted out, kind of about middle of Q four of last year, mm-hmm. and uh, ever since then, things have really started to snowball. And our fundraising is, I, well, I think everybody's going to be pretty surprised when we post this quarter's numbers, um, and I think we're even going to do 
hopefully is a twice as good next quarter. Um, mm. It's it's been actually very surprising though because even with coronavirus, um, our fundraising has really taken off. Uh, even about the same time as coronavirus, we do a lot of the digital and mail fundraising as well. Um, so we're able to get small dollar donors from across the country, and we've had an amazing amount of support. And I think probably 95% or more of our our donations have come from small dollar donors, which wow. is incredible. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that a lot of people are going to be uh, surprised by what your numbers are going to be, you said, for quarter one. Can you maybe give us any hint what what kind of boundary you're looking at? Are you going to keep that until officially you file and uh, you announce it to the world? Uh, we're we're going to keep it, uh, <laughs> keep it a little bit quiet for now just because we still have another looks like another week mm-hmm. left in this quarter and i think we could uh we might be able to add to it by the end of the week mm-hmm. oh that's exciting so uh oregon's fourth district is one of the largest congressional districts in america uh, i mean you have basically all of southwest oregon which is a very large and diverse part of oregon i mean compare that to some congressional districts in new york where it's only you know a few blocks you've got basically the whole southwest portion of the state to it's the Go size with. of Connecticut, actually, yes. The size of, yeah. So, I mean, what, what it's, what's it like running in such a large congressional district and having to, you know, kind of deal with the, you know, uh, you know, rules and ways that you have to deal with that? Um, I don't, I mean, I don't mind it at all. I kind of enjoy um, seeing all the different parts of the district. I mean, it being so large, there are, you know, a variety of you know, geography and things like that. <laughs> this is where we go. We've got the coast. We've got, like, the central valley going up I-5, and then we've got the mountain range on the east side of the district. Um, you've got most of its timberland, and then once you go up north, you have grass seed farmers. It's, uh, it's a very interesting district, and it's very scenic, so I really don't mind traveling all over. And um, we've just started, again, due to coronavirus, we just started kind of getting back out on the road and holding some in-person events so far they've gone exceptionally well and um, i think that's going to be something we're going to do quite a lot especially right before ballots drop Um, we want to do a couple big road trips across the district just so that we can get to every small town and meet every voter that wants to meet me yeah so uh you've kind of ended up in a race that many Republicans and analysts kind of say that is one that the GOP can come close in, but kind of can never really get over that hump uh, of to, to getting that final, you know, two, three percent of victory. Why do you think you can change that? Well, I think that, I mean, honestly, the reason that it hasn't been a winnable district in the past is simply because there hasn't been good candidates who weren't able to fundraise and they weren't able to appeal to the moderates. And we plan on doing all of those things differently. I mean, Oregon is a very interesting state when it comes to um, structure. There is no real Oregon GOP structure. Um, there is no Oregon Republican Party. There's no one to really strategize and figure out what candidates are running where. So as a result, pretty much you have anybody that wants to run for any seat can and will. And there's no real structure to throw support behind the serious candidates or the candidates that can win a general as opposed to the candidates that can win in a primary. So fortunately for us, um, we've 
kind of fixed that, at least for our race. We have a lot of help from people um, in state and even nationally. And um, I, I just think that I'm a okay candidate, I suppose. And I've got an excellent team and our fundraising is going incredibly well. And I mean, if we can keep this trajectory all the way until November, I don't really see how we lose. Yeah, so um, you mentioned frustration with the Oregon Republican Party, which is something that a lot of people, not only in Oregon, but outside of Oregon, have kind of been frustrated with, with a state that, while people usually think of it as a blue state, uh, it has its areas in which if you get enough Republicans out and to vote, it can definitely be a state that can go for Republicans. So do you think that you can be a catalyst to change that and to kind of make the Oregon Republican Party stronger so that way Oregon as a state itself can become a more competitive area for Republicans nationally and in statewide elections? Absolutely. I mean, I don't necessarily even want to be the catalyst. I want to be the one that makes that change. I want to be, I want to lay down the structure and help Republicans um, across the state win elections. Because right now, I mean, the fourth congressional that I'm running in should already be Republican. The fifth should be the competitive district, and that's the safe one. So, yeah. and of course, there's a lot of, you know, state uh, rep seats and state senate seats that are also competitive, or at least we should have by now that we don't. I'm not sure if Oregon as a statewide is ever going to turn red, but there's a lot, I mean, there's a, <laughs> at least a couple congressional districts that should be red, and like I said, on the state level, we should be doing a much better job as well. And um, I would definitely love to help bring in some structure and, um, I guess, motivation for uh, a lot of Oregon because, I mean, part of the problem as well is because there's no structure and because anybody can run for anything, we've lost so many elections in a row that people are just demoralized and they don't think you can win an Oregon period, which is just not true. Okay, so uh, one of the biggest focal points of your campaign has been uh, the protection of the Oregon timber industry in South and Southwest Oregon. If you are elected to Congress, how do you see yourself keeping this promise and protecting the Oregon timber industry? Um, well, it's not so much about protecting it, it's about getting it back. Because um, okay. I mean, <laughs> there's really not much of a timber industry left. Mm -hmm. the, the real problem is all the federally owned timberland in Oregon uh, is governed by the ONC agreement, which is very specific to Oregon. I don't want to get too down in the weeds for you here, but um, long story short, um, not only is it a huge part of our economy, of course, because we have some of the most productive timber forests in the world, but that's also how county government gets a huge portion of their taxes is from timber harvest because the land is owned by the federal government. And there's an agreement they came to back in, I think, the late 20s, early 30s. And now, since the Endangered Species Act has thrown the LNC agreement pretty much out the window, we're now doing about a fifth of what we were doing in, say, the 80s when we were very successful and um, wealthy. And it shows. I mean, unemployment is through the roof. Um, this is the poorest congressional district in the state. Homelessness is on the rise. Drug use is on the rise. We have some of the highest child abuse rates in the country. I mean, it's a real serious problem, again, not just for the economy, but for county governments as well. Timber is really all-encompassing down here. So I would just like to reach some sort of a compromise with Democrats or environmentalists 
on the timber issue because there's a lot of ways where we can make both sides happy things that are good for the environment and good for the economy at the same time that should be um they should be already enacted but they're not and i think that's honestly just because we've been represented by one party for too long here in oregon and of course we uh, look forward to changing that if elected i mean there's a lot of different ways to actually bring it about uh, with legislation um I'd like to see the ONC agreement on a level playing field with the Endangered Species Act, so maybe we uh, still have to worry about the spotted owl, but I mean, I think we know now that the spotted owl isn't going away due to timber harvest, it's going away due to an invasive species, but regardless, I think we can still worry about the environmental impact of logging while still at least hitting up to 500 million board feet minimum set in the ONC laws. Okay. So, uh, one final question, uh, and maybe, maybe the most important question of the day. Uh, I think every guy in America would like to know this. What was it like working with Clint Eastwood? <laughs> he's, uh, he's just as cool as you'd think, if not cooler. Um, <laughs> he's just a very, very laid back, very, uh, very in shape and very funny guy. Yeah. Well... Okay, uh, Alec, thank you so, so much for speaking with me today. Uh, I've, I've almost been convinced to give you money, so it's no surprise that your fundraising has gone up to me because what you've said today is hopefully has almost convinced me to give you money. Uh, thank Again, thank you very much for coming on and speaking with me today, and uh, good luck to you in your general election run. Well, thanks so much. Have a good one. Thank Appreciate you. it. Yep. <laughs> Bye. Bye.